welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. You're so good now. I could have been better. I could have broke every record in the book. And then? And then? And then when I walked down the street, people would have looked and they would have said, there goes Roy Hobbs. The best there ever was in this game. You know, I believe we have two lives. How, what do you mean? The life we learn with and the life we live with after that. The life we learn with and the life we live with after that. It's hard to think of a better way to express the truths we try to share each week on this show, offering hope and practical action steps to learn the lessons of your crucibles in order to chart a course to a life of significance. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. That clip you just heard is from The Natural, the 1984 movie that Warwick and I discuss this week on episode three of our special summer series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, what our favorite movie heroes can teach us about overcoming setbacks and failure. It's one of the best baseball movies ever made, but that's just one reason we're dropping this episode on the day of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. We're covering it in this series because it's a rousing story of the redemption of its hero, the otherworldly talented ball player Roy Hobbs, and how he learns that talent alone is insufficient if we want to live lives on purpose dedicated to serving others. For that, we need to sharpen our character as well as our skills and surround ourselves with those who believe in us and challenge us on our journey to making our vision a reality no matter how long it might take. We are in the midst of a summer series that we're doing called Lights, Camera, Crucibles. What your favorite movie heroes can teach you about overcoming setback and failure. And this week, after the first two weeks, we talked about Captain America week one. We talked about um, Batman week two from Marvel to DC. Now we're moving out of superheroes altogether, at least, well, no, at least costume superheroes, perhaps uniformed superheroes this time. We're going to talk about the 1984 film, The Natural, starring Robert Redford as um, the, the quintessential, unbelievable baseball player, uh, who is Roy Hobbs. We've already talked a little bit, Warwick, uh, before we hit pl- uh, a record here about, you know, some of the things that we want to talk about. I mean, this is a movie we both love a lot. You, you've you loved this movie for quite a bit of time, I believe, right? Absolutely. You know, it's funny, as you say, this came out in 1984. I was living in New York City at the time. It's in my Chase Manhattan Bank days before I went to Harvard Business School three years before I did my own uh, takeover, if you will, 2 billion plus, the Fairfax Media. So I've always loved stories and movies about redemption. And this is a movie all about redemption. So little did I know how much uh, need I'd have of redemption in 1984. We'll talk about foreshadowing. This foreshadowed uh, some redemption I would dearly need after my failed takeover. But this was three years before it happened. So 
I loved the movie uh, when I saw it in New York City, and uh, it's been one of my all-time favorite movies ever since because of just the sense of redemption that Roy Hobbs goes goes through. And I am indeed wearing Roy Hobbs' jersey, and while I'm right-handed, not left-handed, I did indeed bring a baseball and a glove to our recording because, of course, you do. I have a New York Knights <laughs> hat and a New York Knights jersey, and there, so you, so you can see, is the is the lightning bolt, which we'll talk more about. We'll talk more about all of this, listener, just in case anybody wants to play catch while we're doing the show. I've got a glove right here where we can we can do that. So, um, all right. So, talking about the natural, let's uh, let's sort of level set this for uh, listeners, Warwick. Uh, it's the story I said earlier of the man who wore this jersey, number nine on the back, Roy Hobbs, uh, and Roy Hobbs is a lot of things, but for the purposes of starting our discussion, we'll say that Roy Hobbs is a man who makes some poor choices sometimes, has some really difficult, challenging, almost uh, certainly life-threatening things happen to him. Um, he, he struggles in, as a young man with confidence and maybe some holes in his character, but the, the, the overarching theme, why we're talking about Roy Hobbs on this series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, about how you can learn lessons from movie heroes to, to overcome your own crucibles is because Roy Hobbs is someone who becomes a hero, who gets included in this summer series because he learns the lessons of his setbacks and his failures and even those, those stumbles and missteps that he took. That's a pretty fair big picture assessment of who we're talking about today, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, Roy Hobbs, as many of us do as a teenager, makes some poor choices that have, as we'll see, life-altering consequences. And he does the, learn the lessons. One of the hardest things, as we'll see, that he has to overcome is he is unsparing of himself. He just just crucifies himself for the mistakes he made. And there are many of us out there, myself included, with my own crucible in which I was as hard on myself and the mistakes I made as anybody. And so for many of us, the mistake is the one is is one thing, earning up to it is one thing, but forgiving yourself and moving beyond, you know, your your mistakes, uh, you know, it's for many of us just forgiving yourself for just mind-numbing, what we believe is horrendously stupid, poor decisions, it's tough. That's almost one of the the toughest frontiers for many of us is even if others will forgive us and not everybody will, forgiving ourselves, my gosh, that's so hard. And if you don't do that, you don't move on and life significance won't happen. So that's one of the key beats of the story of Roy Hobbs, as we'll see. And that is, uh, when you watch the movie The Natural, that's the first picture we get of Roy Hobbs, right? We first see him and he's at a train station and he's got a thousand yard stare in his eyes. He is, he is, he's very quiet of both body and, 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 and face. He, he, he looks um, weary uh, by life. It's clear that this is a man who knows his way around crucibles. This is a man who's not had an easy life. We don't know what those crucibles were. We don't know what caused them, but we know that he's a man who's sort of uh, heavy laden. Um, and that continues that look, that, that sense that Roy 
Hobbes has lived a difficult existence up until the point we meet him as viewers, continues when he's on the train. We don't know where he's going, but we know he's going there with, with a heavy heart uh, in, in many ways. Um, but he does what a lot of us do, and this is our first inkling into who Roy Hobbes really is, is he does what a lot of us do when we're feeling a little weary, when we're feeling heavy hearted, when we're feeling um, uh, lost or depressed or looking for direction. Roy Hobbs on that train begins to dream of the things that he loves and what he loves, where his mind takes him back to is his love of baseball. And the first time we see Roy as a young boy that he thinks back on, he's playing baseball with his dad um, in on the family farm. And he's uh, not only is he having a good time doing it, but based on what we see, Roy's a pretty good baseball player. Roy's um, someone who the name of the film is the natural because Roy appears to have some pretty great natural talent. And he exhibits that while he's uh, his dad paints um a strike zone on the fence of the family farm and Roy pitches it and he blows a hole in the, in the fence. That's a kid who's got a pretty good fastball, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There are some young people that whether it's baseball, football, whatever the sport is, tennis, they could almost play anything they want to. And they're fantastic. Yeah. I remember Bo Jackson, as some will remember, was a standout football, uh, baseball player. There are some, like many top athletes, you know, they go play golf and they're like a two or three handicap max, you know, and golf's not their main sport, but they're just so gifted. Roy Hobbs is one of those people that, um, one of those kids that had this, you would almost say this God-given talent. It was off the charts. Yeah. And... What's interesting about that, and it's a great segue into, into one of the first kind of crucible leadership moments that comes out of this movie, that, that, that a spotlight is really shown on a lot of key principles of crucible leadership in the movie, The Natural. But the first one comes right after Roy breaks that, uh, that fence with his fastball. His dad, who is playing with him and also coaching him, says to him, you've got a gift, Roy, but it's not enough. You've got to develop it. You rely too much on your own gift and you'll fail. And the truth of that, right, is something that we talk about on Crucible Leadership all the time, on Beyond the Crucible all the time. Our roads back from crucibles and and our roads to lives of significance require our gifts and talents for sure, but they also require lifelong learning in the areas where we want to have an impact and in our own character and authenticity. That's what Roy Hobbs's dad is trying to tell him. You can't just rely on your natural gifts. You have to develop them. And as we say in Beyond the Crucible, you have to learn from the experiences that life hands you. You know, Fair? absolutely. You know, I'm reminded, it just came to mind, there's this saying in Greek mythology, you know, there's a Greek gods, Zeus, Athena, all those. They would say something like, who the gods would bring down, they would first uh, favor. Basically, the notion is it's really hard when you're incredibly gifted and life is easy, at least in the sense for Roy. He's so good at baseball. It's like, how can he miss? Everybody talks about the sure thing, right? He's got this. But very often you'll see in sports, people that are so talented as teenagers, 
they never really make it later on in whatever the sport is because they don't have the the grit, the resilience, the determination because it's all so easy. And there are other athletes who don't have as much raw talent, but they have the determination, the grit, the staying power. And so it's sometimes great gifts can be, can be a curse at such a young age. It's just, it feels like you don't have to work for it. Hitting a home run, oh, that right. that's easy, you know? Hitting a, a fastball uh, or throwing a fastball for a strike that nobody can hit, that's not a tough thing. So sometimes having great gifts can be a crucible because you take it for granted and you don't do what Roy's dad says, you don't develop it. But it's the sad thing is sometimes it takes some hard knocks to fully understand, I guess, how uh, profound that comment that Roy's dad said. I don't think Roy understood what his dad was saying. Sadly, he would understand it in the years to come. Yeah. Yeah. And he understood it. Uh, he understands it a little bit, a lot in the next scene in the film, uh, after playing catch with his boy, um, Mr. Hobbs uh, has a heart attack on the family farm and dies as Roy watches him die. Roy has actually a very, very sweet scene. Roy is, you know, laying on his dad's chest while his dad passes away. Um, and, and that's his first real crucible. Um, that we see. Here's this kid who has all the talent in the world, it looks like, who is probably dreaming as young boys do, if they're good at sports, of, of a career doing that. Um, and then is, uh, you know, the one person who could make sure he followed that advice to not rest on his laurels, to not just just camp on his talent, but to develop that talent um, he is gone. Roy loses his rudder in that moment. And it doesn't take long for him to veer off course. We learn pretty quickly after that. The um, interesting scene happens before we get to see Roy kind of uh, struggling in the early days of his, of his young life uh, when he's a teenager in early 20s. Lightning that there's a storm the night his dad dies and lightning strikes uh, this big tree on the family farm. Roy's out you know, looking out his window. He watches the tree go down when the lightning hits it. He salvages some wood from that tree and he makes a baseball bat from it. Uh, he burns with one of those, the, the, those wood burners. He burns the word wonder boy on it. We wonder, is that a nickname that he's gotten from being such a good baseball player because he's growing up uh, as a young boy. But Roy Burns' wonder boy on that bat and he puts a lightning bolt in it. Like there's another crucible leadership, I think, Warwick, in that is that when something is destroyed like the family tree was, something beautiful and special and helpful to our journey forward can be built from it if we put in the work. I don't think Roy Hobbs, young Roy Hobbs, 10-year-old, 12-year-old Roy Hobbs understands that when he's doing it, but I think he comes to understand it as time goes on. He takes that tree that is knocked down that was that was devastating because the tree probably meant something to him the way that he reacts when it goes down. He takes what was broken and he makes something of it that's not only beautiful, that he comes to treasure, but ends up helping him on his journey to a life of significance. Absolutely, Gary. I mean, this is a really another example of some foreshadowing of... Uh... Roy is, a, is going to go through some really tough trials, even, I don't want to say worse, but in some sense, even almost worse than losing his dad. But out of um, just some of the devastation and the pain, something beautiful uh, can happen, in a sense, if we allow it. And so that's, you know, you're very uh, smart to uh, bring that up, just the way the, his whole Bat Wonderboy is created 
out of pain can, can come purpose, can come redemption. And that was uh, to happen in Roy Hobbs's life. So it's really an early foreshadowing of uh, using pain for a purpose that would uh, come about. Right. And we'll talk more about one of the things I loved about this movie, even before we decided today, you know, or or in in 2022 that we're going to do a podcast series on it. I've loved it since it first came out because there's a lot of really great moving foreshadowing. And and that's exactly one of those moments um, that you talk about. So the movie then sort of flashes forward a few years and a teenage Roy. And you have to suspend disbelief a little bit sometimes in hero movies because Robert Redford was in his like 40s and he's playing a teenager. So they shoot him through a lot of fuzzy lenses. Right. But but that, you know, you have to believe that that's the case, that 40 something year old Robert Redford's a teenager in these scenes, 18, 19, something like that. Um, uh, And he's kept he's kept playing baseball through the years because he's 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 about to go to Chicago for a tryout with, of course, the greatest team in the history of baseball, the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> he says, as a fan of the Chicago Cubs, there's my Cubs wristwatch right there. Um, and, and so he's got to be good if a pro team wants to take a look at him. And he meets uh, before he heads off on the train that night with the girl next door. She's the proverbial girl next door in movies like this. Um, and, and he tells her, I've got to reach for the best that is in me. That's what he says to Iris, this girl next door whom he loves. He's trying to live up to dad's exhortation, right? I've got to reach for the best that's in me as I head off on this journey. Um, he and Iris um, then share, uh, they, they sleep together. Um, she's his girl and, and he's, he's, he's going off. And uh, what we come to learn pretty quickly, he's going off with perhaps a little naivete, certainly with not a lot of experience and some things happened to him on that uh, train trip that will forever alter his life, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've got this young Roy Hobbs, 18, 19. He's, you know, uh, could be one of the greatest pitchers in baseball. And it's ironic that he, uh, you know, meets, uh, you mentioned the the whammer, this baseball, uh, this Babe Ruth kind of figure who started off, as you know, as a pitcher and became a hitter. Another bit of foreshadowing of uh, of Roy Hobbs, but he, it seems like he's got the world before him, you know. And uh, what could go wrong? And um, yeah, it's it's an eerie time as he's heading on that train to Chicago. Right, as you said, I hadn't mentioned it yet, but you've introduced the whammer. The whammer is Babe Ruth, right? He's they can't use Babe Ruth's name in the movie, I, I guess, so they call him the whammer, and he is the Major League Baseball's home run king. And he's obviously modeled after Babe Ruth. This 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 scene right now takes place in the early 1920s. Um, and Babe Ruth was already by that time known as the Sultan of SWAT in Major League Baseball. So uh, Roy's got an agent, uh, this kindly old man, um, uh, who's accompanying him on the train. And um, they meet up not only with the whammer, uh, but also with a sports writer named Max Mercy deliciously devilishly played by by Robert Duvall who's one of my favorite uh, actors there's some 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 John going back and forth between Max Mur- uh, uh, Mercy and Roy's agent and basically his agent who doesn't really have a lot of money bets uh, bets Max Mercy 10 bucks that Roy Hobbs this kid on the train can strike out the whammer on just three pitches well that seems like 
you know, an easy bet for someone like Max Mercy to, when you're talking about a guy who's Babe Ruth, right? Who had superhuman feats uh, in the in the sport of baseball. Just three pitches. If one of them goes outside the strike zone, bets off. You lose, uh, agent. Um, if 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 you know if the whammer fouls one off uh, on the third pitch, that, that's over too. Anything that's not a strike ends the bet. Three pitch balls. So they gather to uh, to do this. The train has a water stop. They gather. They're they're there, and it's it's a wonderful scene, which Roy uh, is pitching to the whammer. And it shows on those three pitches, like the first one gets Max Mercy to back up. He's the umpire. He's like, well, okay, this kid could be wild. He's like, can't believe how fast he throws the whammer, you know, swings and misses at the second pitch after the first one is like really fast and surprises everybody. And then the third pitch comes and um, the whammer swings and misses that Roy Hobbs strikes out the greatest player in baseball. And something interesting happens at that moment, speaking about foreshadowing. There's a woman on the train. Her name's Harriet Bird. And she is, um, we don't know really anything about her except she's, 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 you know, kind of pretty in sort of a, sort of a big city way. Roy's a, a, a boy from the, the farms of Iowa. The whammer, you know, is trying to impress her with his rings and, you know, all his talent. And so she's walking around with him. Um, and we don't really know why, except, you know, She's attracted to the to the power and the and the prestige that's in him is what we think. But when that pitch that two things happen when that third strike comes as it's coming. The director, Barry Levinson, does a great job of filming Robert Redford as Roy Hobbs throwing the pitch in slow motion and behind him, the sun is setting. Right. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's the director's way of saying, even at this moment where it should be the start of this, this ascension into baseball stardom, the sun's setting on Roy Hobbs in some way. And the next thing that we see too is Harriet Bird, this beautiful, somewhat mysterious woman. She's watching the whammer. She's been all impressed with the whammer. All of a sudden, Roy strikes the whammer out and we watched her gaze go from hitter to pitcher. Her eyes are on Roy. And speaking of foreshadowing, uh, what ends up happening to Roy, he, um, he meets with her in, in, in the dining car. Even though he has a girl back home, he's, he's young. He's, he's intrigued by this sophisticated woman. Uh, he meets her in, her, in uh, her hotel room. Something happens to him when he's there that changes his life forever. She... He walks up into the room and she says to him, Roy, who has said all along, I'm going to be the, even at 18, 19 years old, believes he's going to be the best who ever played the game. People will look at him and say, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best who ever played this game. He's got that talent. And she asks him, wearing a veil, kind of strange as she's outside her room, are you going to be the, the best who ever played the game, Roy? And he says, yes. And then she pulls out a gun or she has a gun. She, she pulls up the gun, fires and shoots him. Uh, in the stomach area. Uh, and then later after that, they cut to the window of her, her, um, her floor in the apartment, in the hotel room. And it's, and it's the winds blowing in clearly indicating that she jumped out of the window. That is not a, sh that's a shocking scene to see, but there was some foreshadowing on the train that indicates what Harriet bird might've been up to. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I think there's some conversation with some folks on, on the train that basically about, uh, there were a couple other uh, folks that were um, uh, killed, maybe a boxer, football player. Uh, she turns out that she is like this serial killer psychopath that looks for athletes to, right. to kill. Uh, now, you know, Roy wasn't to, wasn't to know that, but, um, you know, uh, if you have eyes to see, she looked like trouble. You know, right. uh, she had that sort of dark, dark quality. And, you know, she will see there's a, she's almost like the dark angel and we'll see this sort of an angel of light later on. But they both mm-hmm. say similar things, which is kind of eerie in, in one sense. You know, uh, they, they have a, they have a conversation about, you know, are you going to be the best there is? And he says, yes. And um, Harriet says, is that all there is, being the best in baseball? Is that all there is? And Roy, Roy is nonplussed and says, well, what else is there? And she almost laughs at him in a condescending you know, uh, way and says, don't you know? You know, she views him as this you know, priceless, naive young kid. You know, when he says, can I see you? And she said, oh, you're precious. So, you know, she's just really messed up. But in some ways, in her own screwed up psychopathic way, she finds him endearing. I mean, it's like a spider. He was drawn right into the web by his naivety, youthful arrogance, exuberance, and maybe his moral foundations of letting his... uh, girl iris down were uh not fully moored and he gets sucked right into the psychopath uh and pays a terrible price yeah and that terrible price again he doesn't die because the next thing we see is um on the screen it says 16 years later and we flash forward in um in roy hobbs life and 16 years later um he shows up at the um at the park of the new york knights who are, uh, at the moment we meet them, the worst team in Major League Baseball, certainly in the National League of Major League Baseball. Roy comes there, and he is, uh, we come to learn pretty quickly, he's, a, he's, he's not a pitcher anymore. We don't know exactly why, but we're left, it's, pretty, it's a pretty obvious assumption that being shot in the stomach um, took away his ability to throw fastballs the way he could throw, but he's, he's a hitter now. And, um, he was, uh, playing semi-pro ball. One of the Knights, uh, scouts signed him. Uh, and that should be the start, right? That should be the start. However, delayed of his dreams coming true, but it turns into another crucible for Roy, the manager of that club, pop Fisher, great baseball name, by the way. Pop Fisher, come on, <laughs> couldn't have been better. Um, Pop Fisher refuses to play him. He won't even let him take batting practice, even though the Knights are truly terrible and could, you know, I mean, it's not going to make them worse. Uh, they need a shot in the arm. Uh, we come to learn that there are complex forces going on to make the Knights lose. The judge, it's all we know him by is the judge. He's the partner that Pop, the manager, had to take on in ownership. Pop also has owned uh, also has owned the club. He had to take him on uh, as a as a partner, and 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 the judge will get the team all to himself if the Knights fail to win the pennant. So Pop thinks signing an old rookie like Hobbs, and Hobbs is like supposed to be in his mid to late thirties by this time, certainly 
older than most rookies start playing baseball. Pop thinks this might be the judge's ploy to get the team to not win the pennant so that Pop loses the team and the judge gets it. And then there are other impediments that are slowly revealed uh, in this section of the film. There uh, impediments to the night's success. One is a gambler named Gus played again with, with just, just malevolence by uh, sort of, sort of a joyful malevolence by Darren McGavin and his, his, his mall memo Paris played by Kim Basinger. Gus's job is to weasel his way into getting the players to throw games payoffs, date memo, do things like that. They throw games. Uh, her job is to distract the players from the goal in hand, which is winning baseball games. But then something happens that opens the door for Roy to get on the field. The Knights' best player, Bump Bailey, who has been dating memo and he's been throwing games uh, pretty clearly, he starts to pick it up because Pop threatens he's going to play Hobbs if Bump doesn't get better. Uh, Bump starts playing better. He ends up dying in an on-field accident when he runs through the fence. And um, that leads to Roy finally getting on the field. And it allows him to start living his dream of being the best there ever was in this game. From the moment he gets in games, uh, exciting things start happening, right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's all sorts of twists and turns. Um, we learn that the judge uh, tells their scout, make sure you find people that are hopeless that will guarantee the team will, right. will lose because if the team loses, then he gets control of the whole team. And so later on, he says, when uh, Roy starts doing well, he says, you know, what is the deal here? You were meant to find people that were guaranteed to help us lose. I found some <laughs> right, has-been right. in the middle of nowhere in these mid to late 30s. I did my level best to do what you told me, Judge. So sometimes, in this case, the judge's own malevolence works against him, and Roy Hobbs gets a second chance when he shouldn't have. Any sane person wouldn't have given him a second chance, but he got a second chance just because they wanted to guarantee the team lost. So, you know, laughs on uh, or the jokes on on the judge there. But um, yeah, again, era, eerie f foreshadowing with Bump Bailey. It seems like whoever Memo gets involved with, whether it's deliberately or not deliberately, they don't do well. She's like, you know, the kiss of death in terms of your ability to play well. So uh, happens to Bump Bailey, but um, obviously Roy doesn't see that, but he gets his chance. And, you know, after a long time, 15, 16 years, it begins to play well. So it does seem like life is finally on the up, on the up and up for Roy. Yeah. And, and playing well is an understatement. <laughs> I mean, Roy is truly a revelation uh, on the baseball field as a hitter. He um, he's quickly making the newsreels. Remember, this is 1939. That's the season that this all happens now when when Roy takes the field. Um, and he's, he's, you know, kids love him. Uh, when he first gets in the game, right. One of the first things he does is, um, he, you've heard the expression, knock the cover off the ball. He knocks the cover off the ball, <laughs> right. It starts raining and he knocks the cover off the ball. That is how great, uh, he is. And I've, and I, I haven't shared this with you, uh, uh before now, Warwick, cause I want to get, I want to see how you react to this, but in that montage scene where Roy is just is just taking it to major league baseball and just playing better than anyone has ever played before. Uh, they run, uh, there's a scene of baseball cards rolling off a printing press. And this is one of those cards. This is a, 
uh, was one of the prop cards uh, that rolled down uh, that was created for the movie. Um, that's Roy Hobbs right there. But there's a back of the card. Now, on the back of the card, like any baseball card <laughs> on the back, it lists statistics and career achievements. And here's the statistics that Roy Hobbs uh, puts together in 1939. He played 72 games. Remember, he comes in the middle of the season when the Knights are doing poorly. He has 307 at-bats, 171 hits, 42 doubles, 13 triples, 51 home runs. 51 home runs in 72 games and 307 at-bats with 106 RBIs. His batting average, 557. Now, I did some, some number crunching here. The greatest players in baseball history, the most prolific home run hitters in, in, in real life, major league baseball history. Um, Babe Ruth averaged about in one season, about uh, eight at bats for every home run. What this computes to, if you, if you stepped to the plate 307 times and hit 51 home runs, Roy Hobbs hit a home run every six times he came to the plate. He is uh, better than anybody, truly, he is the best who ever played the game. This uh, covers everything about Roy's uh, about Roy's career. It's fascinating that that they actually put numbers to that, and that's who he is. I mean, what's your reaction to that? Betting five fifty seven and hits a home run every six times. Wow! I mean, I'm, he would know better than I. But has anybody else ever batted? You know. 557 no. in a season. I mean, no. you think, no. you know, again, you know, baseball more than I do, but, you know, the guy, the Boston Red Sox, uh, uh, w- w- uh w- yeah, yeah. Well, he was 400. You think, oh, you're 400. You're, you're incredible, you know, but it's like, uh, very, very few. So, yeah, I mean, if, if that season was representative, he truly would have been the best there ever was. Nobody would touch that. Right. Uh, so, yep. That I mean, that's an incredible card, and uh, those statistics just paint the picture of the natural. He was the best yeah. there ever was. But then some things happen in the film that indicate that uh, perhaps Roy hasn't completely learned the lesson of his crucible. He begins dating Memo, the, the gambler's uh, sidekick who kind of helps him get players to throw games or to get distracted. And, and in doing that, he begins to go into a very bad slump. We hearken back. I think back work in this case to what his dad said uh, to him when he was young. Uh, Talent's not enough. You have to work at it. You have to make it, you have to build on it. You have to continue to get better. Talent isn't enough. Natural talent isn't enough. And I think, it's a key crucible leadership principle. What we see here when Roy begins dating memo gets distracted and begins to slump and the team starts to lose again. And that's this don't lose sight of your mission. Don't allow distractions to cause you to drift from it or it can feed more crucibles. Roy Hobbs has stopped living his life on purpose. When he begins to date memo, he's living it distracted And it takes success and the potential for significance away from him, at least for a time. 
that's a pretty good analysis of what happens in that section of the movie where he's caught up again with the flashy, beautiful woman and it pulls him away from its mission drift in some sense, right? It pulls him away from his single-minded desire over those 16 years and the years before that when he was a kid to be the best there ever was. Yeah, it's so true, Gary. In a sense, he has the crucible of success, you know, up until the time that he starts dating Memo. You quoted the stats, you know, the amount of home runs he was going to hit in the season over 50 and batting rat average over 500. The problem is when you have that kind of success, and I'm sure the papers were saying, where's this guy come from? He's incredible. He's right. better than anybody. You've got all these kids wanting him to sign, you know, his autograph, baseball cards. It's hard to withstand that level of adulation and success that Roy Hobbs had at that point in the season um, and before he started dating Memo. So then success begins to erode your judgment. And in a sense, Memo is maybe not a foreshadowing, but the reverse of uh, what Harriet Bird was, who was sort of a, the dark angel, if you will, an evil person. Anybody who's a psychopath runs around killing people to me is pretty close to the definition of, of evil. Memo wasn't quite at that level, uh, but clearly her motives as somebody that was on the payroll of um, this gambler guy, uh, Gus, and you know, uh, if, he, if she didn't play ball, so to speak, the nice apartment, the money would all be gone. So she pretty much did what, whatever right. he told her to do and, you know, distract distract Roy Hobbs, get in a relationship with him. Okay, boss, you know, off she goes. But she was a, um, in a sense, a similar type, although not quite as as bad, if you will, as Harriet Bird. And so your point is, you know, why didn't Roy see that? He would later on, as we'll get to, but he didn't at this point. He got distracted, you know, start sleeping with her. And uh, you have an eerie scene as they're about to go up to her room in which he uh, bumps into um, Pop Fisher, the manager of the, of the Knights, who happens to be uh, Memo's uncle, and he says, "Look, you know, I love her, but don't get don't right. get messed up with her because bad things will happen." This is before he dated it, before he slept before anything. Pop Fisher knew, look, I may love my niece, but she's trouble. Stay away from trouble. Right. But you know, he's not that young anymore, but he doesn't listen to very wise advice. And so he just walks into that crucible and bad things happen and his game suffers. But you would think he would learn by now, you know, stay clear of trouble, especially when you've been given a heads up. But he's too headstrong and too caught up with success. He, he just, he hasn't learned the lessons from that crucible. He just can't see it. Right. And that's, you know, pulling back from talking about uh, movie heroes, that's something that can affect any of us, right? Uh, the The idea that, we use the phrase, it's not one and done a lot. And it, it's usually about forgiveness or about something like that. Learning the lesson and applying the lessons of your crucible is not one and done either. I mean, you can get it right 50 times. That doesn't mean you're going to get it right the 51st time. And I think there's a lesson for all of us, not in a baseball context, but in a life context that Roy Hobbs has blind spots and he chases some things that, that maybe aren't good, that aren't, that aren't good for him. He, he like you know, the, the, the allure of a, of an attractive cosmopolitan woman proves too much to resist. All of us have the ability to fall back into patterns, even if we've 
quote unquote conquered them 50 times before or five times before. True. I mean, it's, it's never a one and done. Yeah. I think really what this illustrates is, you know, whether you're an athlete, you're good at finance, the arts, um, you know, whatever your gifting is, you cannot see all of your self-esteem wrapped up in your gifting, which in a sense, what was the biggest mistake of uh, Roy Hobbs in a sense is certainly one of the top ones was is having his whole self-image wrapped up in his gifting. Nothing wrong enjoying baseball or whatever you do, but he had his self-image wrapped up in that as, as he was refining his craft of batting and before pitching, the aspect of his life that he was not crafting, he was not you know, in the batting cage, if you will, of character. He wasn't refining his character, his humility, his self-awareness. If he was trying to focus on his humility, his character, I think he may well have seen Memo coming. And people right. of character listen to good advice, like Pop Fisher, but, you know, with manager, but he didn't. So, he was good in baseball, but you know what? His batting average in terms of his character that wasn't over five hundred. That may have been right. less than one hundred. You know, yeah, uh, he he point. was not working on it, and because of his lack of ability to hone his character, his humility, his self awareness, he went through in some case self imposed crucibles. First one when he was a young kid, one could debate that, but but Memo, uh, she was trouble. You know, yeah. And it's an interesting point to make. The movie's called The Natural. And it's true. You can be a quote unquote natural in some things in your life. And you can have blind spots and 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 trip and fall and and hit crucibles in other aspects of your life. It's not a, you know, we've talked about being the goat, right? Goat syndrome. Your percent. You can be the goat in, in 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 certain things. You can be the natural in certain things, but that doesn't mean that you don't have blind spots in other areas of your life that can truly cause you some crucibles. And 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 the key to overcoming that is to to learn the lessons of those crucibles and apply them. And here's the good news about the movie The Natural. Roy Hobbs learns the lessons of his crucible. And a key pivotal person and moment in doing that. You made reference earlier on, Warwick, to a to a white angel kind of to complement or, or counterbalance the dark angel that was Harriet, the woman who shot him. And that's when his 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 young love, Iris, re-enters his his life. She does that when the knights travel to where she lives in Chicago. And they begin to rekindle their relationship as a friendship. Um, uh, she says she has the son uh, his, her son loves baseball and is a huge fan of Roy's. She attends a game when he's still going through his slump and, and he has two strikes on him. And when that happens, uh, she stands up in the crowd. She's got a big hat on and people are yelling at her to sit, to sit down because they can't see. But again, there's a, there's a setting sun behind her. She's sort of illuminated and Roy senses something because he hits a game winning home run. His slump ends right there. Iris, his, old, his first love, stands up. He senses something is different. Something's going on with two strikes on him. One of his 51 home runs that year goes sailing out of the park, and the Knights start another winning streak. That scene, to me, is one of the most beautiful scenes in the film. Backlit, she's all lit up, um, uh, her, her white hat. Uh, it's just, a, it, it, it gives me tingles even to talk about it now. Uh, pivotal scene, though. For sure. Absolutely, Gary. I mean, if Harriet Bird was the angel of darkness 
Iris was the angel of light. And because it's a movie, you know, your imagery is so important. She's wearing this beautiful white dress and white hat, and her hat is just glimmering in the sun. It is almost like a halo. I mean, she is meant to be sort of like his, not just his uh, you know, long lost love, but just an angel of light. And when you, you know, it's again, we talk about Star Wars, you know, the force versus, uh, you know, uh, darkness and the empire. When you turn towards the light, whatever that means for you and your belief system and philosophy, good things happen. When you turn towards darkness, bad things like crucible happens. It sounds simplistic, but most major philosophies and religions, that's, that is really a key part of civilization for thousands and thousands of years. There are the forces of good and the forces of evil. And uh, your life is better when you turn to the forces of good. Sounds simplistic, but life is tough and you get tempted by success, fame, a lot of other things in life. And so here's a moment where this angel of light uh, begins to come into his life and things get better. A lesson to be learned here. Yeah. And there's a great crucible leadership principle when Roy asks her later why she stood up. Why at the game did she stand up when he had two strikes on him? And she says this to him, I didn't want to see you fail. That is a critical crucible leadership truth. We need the support of others who believe in us to help us move beyond our setbacks and failures. And that's what re-enters his life and sets him now on a path toward true significance. We talk a lot about surrounding yourself with a team of fellow travelers. As many athletes do, you can surround yourself with an entourage. People who want to get some of the money, some of the gravy, some of the crumbs that, you know, fall off you and maybe they'll get a few thousand here or there, which if you're making hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars as top athletes do, you know, they can throw out a few thousands like it's a, you know, one dollar bill. And so there are some out there that they only want to be around us for the fame and the success. As soon as that fame goes, they're out of here. They're gone. Those aren't the kind of, those aren't fellow travelers. Those aren't the team you want to be. Those aren't the, the teammates you want right. to have. Iris is different. When she says she doesn't want to see him fail, it's not because, oh, somehow she'll get more money or whatever. She believes in who he is. She loves him, believes in him. She wants the best for him, not because of anything that he can do for her. She wants to help him just out of the goodness and purity of her heart. Those are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with, the irises of this world. Too many of us surround ourselves with, be it male or female, the Harriets and Memos. It's easy to say, oh, that's not me. Really? You've never had somebody in your life that maybe you made a poor choice, be it in high school or elsewhere, maybe a business partner. Many of us have made poor choices of who we surrounded ourselves with. Iris with somebody is the kind of person you do want to be on your team. You do want to have in your camp. And that relationship, having Iris back in his life is critical to Roy's moving past his crucibles that come as the movie begins its march to its climax. Uh, he's hospitalized after Memo poisons him to keep him from leading the team to victory in the pennant. After Iris stands up, the team starts winning again. They're on the precipice of winning the pennant. If they win the pennant, Pop Fisher gets the team all by himself and the judges out. So Memo, undoubtedly under the, the auspices of Gus, poisons him and it ends up 
with Roy in the hospital for three days because the silver bullet that's still inside him that he was shot with by Harriet it has eroded away, is eroding away his stomach lining. The doctor tells him he's got to quit playing baseball or his stomach could literally blow apart. The judge shows up in his hotel room with twenty thousand dollars in a in a in an envelope and offers it as a bribe to ensure that the team loses, to ensure Roy doesn't go back and play. And then another visit in the hospital in Warwick. This is one of the uh, this is this is the moment that we a slice of that we played at the top of the show um, a clip of iris's visit to the hospital where they have this conversation where they talk about some really important and really meaningful things that help roy overcome both the crucibles of his past and the crucibles of his present he says at one point we heard in the clip at the top of the show he says some mistakes, I guess, we never stop paying for. He is at the end of his resilience rope, but she refuses to let him stay there. She tells him, I believe we have two lives, the life we learn with and the one we live with after that. When I heard that, I've heard that line, I've watched the movie like 25 times in my life. When I heard that line as I was screening the film for this discussion, it struck me as that's pure crucible leadership. That's learn the lessons of your crucible and apply them. That's it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. That's from our greatest pain comes our greatest purpose. Um, it's, it's as if um, Iris Lemon co-created crucible leadership with you by saying that line. It's just so pivotal to everything we talk about on this show and in crucible leadership, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you. Yeah, it's one of my, maybe it is the, my favorite scene in the movie. And we all need people like Iris in our camp. I mean, here he is. He realizes the mistake he's made. I think later on will be even clearer about who Memo is. But I think at that point he realizes the mistakes and he's just in just self-flagellation mode, you know, um, some mistakes, you know, we never stop paying for. He says to her, you know, I didn't see it coming. In other words, Harriet Bird, I, I should have. Like, it's like, I should have seen it. I should have seen it. And maybe you should have, but when you're young, sometimes you don't see things when you're young and naive and headstrong in your own success. And uh, Ira says, but you, you were so young. It's like you were young. In other words, okay, yes, you made a mistake, but you got to forgive yourself. You got to cut yourself some slack. You've got to, you've got to move move on. And you know, he's just haunted by this idea that um, I could have been the best there ever was. I, I, yeah, I could have walked down my hometown, and people would have said, "There goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was." I could have broken every record on the book, you know. And, and she's like. Um, and that's when she talks about, you know, we have two lives, a life we learn with and life we live after that. And she's like, you know, and, and then it's like, okay, you could have broken all these records. Well, so what? I mean, she says it nicely. Right. And then she ends with really not even a drop, but a dollop of grace, you know, because I think he realizes at that point, this season's probably going to be it. You know, his stomach is, is not in good shape. They pull out silver bullets you know, she says to him, think of all the young boys, all the young kids you've expired. 
you're so successful now and success in the sense of significance. Look at who you've inspired. So she's trying to lift him up and say, you know, don't worry about being the best there ever was. Don't worry about all the records you won't maybe uh, be able to achieve. So she's really is his angel of light that's really helping to produce some character formation. You know, Roy has been battered. He needs a bit of grace and love and character formation to understand what life is about. It's not about records and stats and home runs. It's about how you treat people. It's your character. It's living a life on purpose, dedicated to serving others as we define a life of significance. She is really his muse, his advocate for what life is about and really a life of significance. It's such a pivotal scene because she's speaking, you know, really truth to him, you know, really crucial leadership philosophy, if you will. It's not about records. It's about, you know, living your life on in service to others. It's a great scene. And, uh, and that's why we need people like Iris in our lives. They advocate and help us be the people that we always hoped and wished we'd be at a heart of hearts. And while in the past in this movie, in earlier instances, Roy doesn't quite grasp the lesson of a crucible or the advice of a loved one in the same way that he grasps uh, baseballs, the same way that he hits fastballs. But in this case, in the very next scene, right, he grasps because he goes to the judge's office with that $20,000 that the judge had given him to just lay in bed and not play the next day to ensure that the Knights would lose and not win the pennant. And he shows up uh, to the judge's office. He's got the $20,000. He wants to give it back in there is memo is there. Gus is there. All of the, all the, cons all the conspiracy folks who are out to sort of end his, his efforts to, to win the pennant. And to and to achieve significance, they're all there, and some and 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 that's a pretty moving scene too, isn't it? It really is. And um, you know, basically, you know, Mama, I think I said earlier, um, if we want to have a relationship, you can't play. If, if if you play, we're done. I mean, she's following orders from Gus, and you know, ultimately the judge. And it's like, I, you know, I'm playing. This may be my last game, but I'm playing. I don't know if we'll win or lose, but I'm going to give it my all. Well, she can't stand that. You know, he's defying her. He's defying the judge and Gus. And so he, he gets a, she gets a gun out, fires it somewhere, fortunately not at him. He looks at her, takes the gun away from her and says in a, a moving, sad, almost chilling note, you know, you're right, Memo, we have met before. And that's really right. harkens back as obviously, uh, as we watch the movie, we know he's talking about Harriet Bird. Maybe Memo isn't quite at that level of uh, psychopathic serial killer, but she's she's not a force for good in his life. And at that point, maybe he's learning the lesson from what Iris has told him a short time before, and it crystallizes in his mind. You know, people like um, Memo, they're not good for me. They bring me down. They erode my character. They do the opposite of helping me leave a life of significance. They, you know, lead me down a path of leading a dark life that hurts me and hurts others. All of that was crystallized, I think, in that scene, in that moment when she shot the gun. At that point, he actually clearly did listen to Iris' advice and was living it out. It's a great, it's a great scene. Yeah. And Roy, of course, does play, right? He does get out of bed. He does play. Spoiler alert, <laughs> the Knights win the pennant. 
Pop wins sole control of the team. To be the hero, Roy must first have the inspiration Iris gives him by passing him a note while he's on the bench that her son is his son too. He's the father of her child. He also must survive, and this is you know, kind of a where the, the, the train speeds toward the conclusion of the natural. He has to survive a whole bunch of last minute crucibles. First one, Wonder Boy is broken. He fouls the ball away and he breaks his bat. This bat that is that has fueled his uh, his record setting season. Probably to him, right? Baseball players, sports, you know, athletes are are very superstitious. And oh my gosh, my bat that I that I made from a from a felled tree in my uh, in my yard that was hit by lightning, it's gone. What do I do? Interesting sidelight. The bat is replaced by the by the very sweet and very shy and very quiet bat boy for the nights named Bobby Savoy, who earlier in the movie, Roy teaches him how to make a bat. That was sort of the first flash of a life of significance of Roy pouring in to somebody. Bobby Savoy makes this bat. So he gives his bat, the, uh, the Savoy special to to um, to Roy. So that's what Roy goes up to the plate with, with you know, a strike on him. Then the Pittsburgh Pirates, who they're playing for this uh, this this one game playoff to get in the uh, World Series to win the pennant, they bring out basically to win the game. Roy's got to beat his younger self, right? Because the guy that the Pirates bring up to pitch is a young farm boy, blonde haired, left handed pitcher who throws the fastest ball in the league. It's who Roy Hobbs was going to be if he hadn't been shot by Harriet Bird. He's got to defeat himself in a sense. He's got to overcome his demons in a sense to, to get that victory. And then uh, as if that's not enough, with two strikes on him, his side starts bleeding from where the, the, the damage that the bullet caused. And it, it shows up on his jersey. Blood shows up on his jersey. I know there's a point you wanted to make about when the blood does show up and how the catcher reacts for it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the director didn't quite time it. The, the, the visual was right. But at least at first, I thought it looked like um, the catchers thought that there was blood on his jersey and, you know, gives the, the signs, uh, pitch it inside, which, you know, maybe... Um, would be harder to hit, but you know they didn't quite get the the thinking of the scene right. But it would seem like you know for all the world, uh, even if it was after the sign, the cash is thinking this guy's done. I can see blood. There is no way this guy's going to be hit, be able to hit hit you know hit anything. Uh, but he was proven to be wrong. Indeed, and the very next pitch that comes in, listener, Roy Hobbs hits a game-winning home run uh, that goes up into the light stanchions in the stadium, blows them up, and and fireworks. It's like fireworks falling, celebratory fireworks falling down on the field. It is one of the most rousing scenes in, uh, in, in my motion picture history of the, of the movies I like. Just to give you an idea of what that moment's like, we're going to play just the audio uh, on, on the audio version here of the podcast of what that sounded like. And you'll recognize instantly the music of the natural. And if you don't feel a little tingle or want to stand up and applaud uh, when you hear this, you should, because <laughs> I do. Here's the, the ultimate moment from the natural.
I need to stop here, Warwick, just to say one thing about my own youthful, natural moment. Okay, <laughs> I haven't told you this before, but I'm I'm not older than 20 years old. I'm probably 19 or 20 years old. I'm playing city league softball in my hometown. It's a night game, and the lights are on. Now I hit a foul ball. It's not even a fair ball. It's not a home run. I hit a foul ball that goes into the lights and they start to spark. I felt like Roy Hobbs. My teammates called me Roy for the rest of the game, even though it was a foul ball. I have no idea if the rest of that at bat, I made an out. I got a hit. I have no idea if I knocked in a run. I have no idea of anything, but my memory going on, you know, uh, uh, 35, 40 years since that moment, I still remember how it felt to hit that ball, to have it hit, hit that, hit that light array. And then for sparks to fly out and immediately everybody, there's like 11 people in the, in the, uh, you know, in the stands and they're all like, Ooh, I mean, I still feel a tingle about that moment because that is the deep impact you know, we talk about these crucible moments and how to extract crucible moments in this series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles. We're pulling out principles that will help you overcome your own crucibles. But the reason that we're doing it in movies is because let's not forget, let's not lose sight of the fact that movies move us. Movies stick with us. And that I share that experience not to say, hey, I hit a foul ball and I made the light spark. I say that to say that movie so moved me that when I did something that was nowhere near like what Roy Hobbs did, I guarantee I didn't bat 557 that year. Um, but but just that foul ball and the lights coming out to be called Roy Hobbs and to have that moment still sticks with me. Oh, absolutely. It's like you had your Roy Hobbs moment. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not Roy, Roy Hobbs. But for one at bat, for one moment, maybe maybe just a little bit, maybe I'm channeling a little bit of Roy Hobbs within me, that sense of um, uh, just that wonderful, magical moment. Yeah, it's a tremendous scene. And it really, uh, we'll get to maybe the last scene after that here in a bit, but it was, it was such a redemptive moment. Um, you know, it wasn't just about himself, because as, as we said earlier, if uh, the Knights were to win the pennant, then Pop Fisher would get to own the team and be able to buy out the judge. If they lost, then it would be all the judges' team. So, and, uh, and Roy Hobbs knew that. He knew he wasn't just playing for himself. He wanted to do whatever he could to help Pop Fisher own the team and get the, frankly, you know, evil uh, judge um, if you will, out of the picture. So it's a wonderful moment. You know, he's beat up. It probably is going to be the last at-bat he's ever going to have, as far as we know. And there is this sense of redemption, uh, some grace. And in the stands, as after he hits the ball, you just see Iris in this just joyful tears of thanksgiving and pride. And uh, she's just so happy for Roy because she knows how much it means to him. She knows it's probably going to be his last at-bat. She's just filled with joy for him. Um, again, we want people like Iris, who when we have our Roy Hobbs moments, which isn't all the time, are going to be just cheering us and just having tears in their, eye, in their eyes because they're so happy for us. It's just a wonderful, right. it's a wonderful redemptive moment that wasn't just about him. It was for his team, and especially it was for Pop Fisher. 
And so there was some lot of, at that point, I honestly believe, I don't know that we fully know, that Roy Hobbs wasn't doing it all for himself and the records, that there was a higher purpose behind that hit, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's funny, Warwick, you said it's probably his last at bat. We don't know. We do know. Here's that baseball card that I have, and it has the, the narrative of Roy Hobbs' career. And this is what it says about that, that, the moment that we just talked about. Um, so he was badly hurt, but he famously hit the game-winning home run in the ninth, a home run that crashed into the lights, sending sparkles everywhere. This is what it says after that. Roy Hobbs never played again. So we do know, according to this card, the Knights without Hobbs were swept easily by the Yankees in the World Series. Hobbs uniform, which he actually bled through, is on display at the Baseball Hall of Fame, as is his Wonder Boy bat. Why that doesn't make me sad when I realize I read that they lost the World Series is if there's an earlier scene in the movie where Pops, you know, Pops like, I don't even care about the series. I just want to win the pennant because by winning the pennant, Pop gets to keep the team all to himself and the judges out. So the fact that without Roy, they didn't win a game. They lost all four games to the Yankees. I mean, boo to the Yankees because I'm not a Yankees fan. Um, but that still ends it on a on a great note. And here's here's the last uh, bit. Hobbs moved back to Sabotage Valley. That, that town in Iowa, and married Iris Lemon, where they lived out their quiet lives. People who had seen him play, uh, who had seen him play, insist that if he could have stayed healthy, Roy Hobbs would have been the greatest player in the history of the game. He was a natural. That last scene that you had, uh, that you sort of referred to, Warwick, is is a scene that harkens back to the beginning of the movie. Um, there's a catch being played in a farm field. And Roy's playing catch again, but this time Roy's the dad who's playing catch with his son. Uh, and the camera cuts to, to, you know, I mean, he's smiling. His son is running through the, 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 the field. He's smiling and they cut to Iris and she's smiling. And that, that is the life of significance that Roy Hobbs didn't realize was on the other side of the greatest of all time, the best there ever was in this game. The, the true life of significance is what he and Iris and their boy uh, lived out over, we don't know how many more years, but clearly they lived it out and, and they were happy. So well said. I mean, in a sense, the movie has come full circle. It started with Roy uh, pitching to his dad, his beloved dad, and now he's pitching to his son. And there's nothing wrong with being successful in baseball, football, the arts, business. But, you know, true success is not about numbers, whether it's RBIs, home runs, money in the bank account, houses, you know, whatever record it is. True success is often simpler. It's defined by your character, how you treat people. It's throwing catch to your kid, you know, being there right. at their dance recitals, at their baseball games. At, it, it's, it's family. It's every bit as significant is just what you pour into your family. And I think Roy realized he loved baseball and that's great, but you don't want to be owned by records or owned by something. And he realized uh, with Iris's help that much as he loved baseball, there was more to life than records. 
more to life even than baseball. And I'm, we don't know, but I think in some sense, he probably came to some sort of peace about life. Didn't turn out the way that maybe he wanted it to or thought it could be. But he has his beloved Iris as his wife. He's there with his son that he didn't know he had. And one thinks he probably had a pretty good life and he accepted what had happened. He learned from his crucibles and realized there's more to life than numbers and records and RBIs and home runs. It's it's those around you, you know, life of significance is measured in ways that are not just about numbers, they're measured in character and those that we love and give back to. So it was just a beautiful scene at the end that really harkens back to what a life of significance really, really is. And that, listener, is the time of the show. I'm not going to land a plane. Come on. I'm going to catch the final out <laughs> right there. Game's over. As we do with every episode of uh, this series, Lights, Camera, Crucibles, um, we want to leave you with a point of, re- of reflection about um, the movie that we've talked about today and the hero we've talked about today, The Natural and Roy Hobbs. And uh, where where can I want to direct your attention is to, to Wonder Boy, Roy's bat. That was the bat he fashioned from a felled tree destroyed by lightning. Roy Hobbs was able to make something special and beautiful and helpful to his pursuit of a life of significance from something that was lost and destroyed. So ask yourself this. What are the potential wonder boys in your life? Where can you create beauty from ashes? Be it something physical or something emotional. Where has the train gone off the tracks and you can put it back and create something out of your pain with new purpose that helps you lead a life of significance and leave a legacy? What's your wonder boy? We'll leave you with that question and we'll leave you with this again it's not homework it's take some time if you want to be on track with us next week when we talk about the next hero in our series and that is robin hood now we're going to do it in a couple in a couple of ways so warwick is a big fan and so initially we were like going to focus only on the on the russell crow kind of real robin hood story uh, but then Warwick said, well, we're going to let's let's weave in some stuff from the Errol Flynn uh, Robin Hood, too. So we're going to we're going to get it kind of both of those movies. So Robin Hood is the next hero that we're going to talk about on lights, camera, crucibles. And until that next time, listener, remember, we know your crucibles are tough. Um, sometimes they can be your fault. Sometimes you can have a hand in them. Roy Hobbs certainly had a hand in some of his with some some poor decisions he made. But. Even those crucibles are not the end of your story. They're certainly not a reason to, as Warwick has said many times, stay in bed with the, with the covers over your head, to, to, to self-flagellate all the time. You can move beyond them. You can forgive yourself. Um, you can ha- forgive others. Others can forgive you. You can work your way through those things in the same way that Roy Hobbs worked through them with some, some good people who supported him and had his best interests at heart around him. And he moved beyond that, uh, those crucibles and he ended up in a life of significance. And that's what can happen for you too. Your crucible experiences can be the launching off point for the best story of your life, as difficult as they may be in the story you're living right now. 
You can learn the lessons from them. You can catapult yourself to an ending that's just like Roy Hobbs had an ending because it ends at, like it did for him, a life of significance.